0: Hi, listener. Happy new year to you. This is the Winning Edge Talks podcast and I'm your host Vishwanath. I'm a sports mental conditioning coach, counselor, author, blogger and podcaster. This is the episode number one, two, four. And the topic is Winning Ugly, Mind Games at Play. In this episode, I'll be talking about my favorite book. Winning Ugly, Mental Warfare in Tennis, Lessons from a Master I remember seeing an ad on TV that showed spectators in a tennis match seeing left and right rapidly as the ball moved from one side of the net to the other. This is what you do if you have not played the sport or don't follow it thoroughly. You just go through the motions of watching the game sans any expression. Everything looks the same. You may not know the dynamics of the game. For you, it's just a tennis match being played out there. But you appreciate the contest. You applaud long rallies, brilliant shots and winners that finishes a point. But the players, coaches and others involved know the technicalities of each shot, like the conductor of an orchestra who knows each note of the music he directs. When you follow the game thoroughly, you get absorbed in the contest and become one with the emotions and the drama that unfolds. In a tennis game, unless otherwise, in trying circumstances, there can be two shots that can be played to each ball received. Which shot to play, at what angle, speed, power and placements depends on the player who is about to execute the shot and what intentions he has in his mind. This is what the spectator doesn't fathom. And the wise player simply puts it back without giving it too much into it. but. An experienced pro knows what he is doing and why he is playing that shot. With a certain speed, angle, depth and power, he plans his game like a chess grandmaster who plans his moves much ahead before he moves his pawn. The tennis player thinks, why should I play the ball there and what will happen if I do? all tennis professionals have these analytical skills? Do all of them use their thinking mind when they take on different players? Do all players destroy their opponents strategically? Do they plan the downfall of other opponents? Unfortunately, the answer is a big no. Some extraordinary players prepare mentally before they step on the court. They have already done their homework and know their opponent like the back of their hand. But they also ran only step on the tennis court and hit the Kodam tennis balls and hit them hard. The harder the better for them. But competitive sports are not just physical, they are mental too. Legendary players knew about this and had everything planned for the match before they took on to the court. The match was already played in the mind several times before they do it on the court. Champions in most occasions are blessed with natural talent and in their journey to greatness they would have developed the skills, repertoire of strokes and the right mindset and emotional intelligence required. They display class and excellence in their stroke play. They are winners all the way and this is the majority. But there are also winners of the other kind. Their range of strokes and their footwork may not be pleasing enough to receive plaudits of the connoisseur. They may look awkward, but they know how to win. They win most number of times than the fancied players. They are an eyesore to the people who don't expect them to win. People who loathe such players even go to the extent of saying, how in the hell does this guy win? He hits like a caveman who found a tennis racket. Yes, your guest is right. I am talking about Brad Gilbert, the US tennis professional who was in the top 10 of the bygone era. The 80s and the 90s. This whole episode is dedicated to this maverick of the mental game of tennis. Brad Gilbert was in the top 10 internationally for five years and rose as high as number four in the world in 1990. He has won over five million dollars in tournament prize money. By 1991, He was 8th on the all-time prize money winner's list. When you add in the endorsements and the exhibitions that resulted from those victories, his total income from tennis by 1993 was close to $8 million. He is an Olympic medalist and has represented the United States in Davis Cup competition many times. Encouraged by others, He, with uh, Steve Jamison, co-authored the book Winning Ugly Mental Warfare in Tennis Lessons from a Master. Steve Jamison writes in the preface to the book Pratt's success comes from the fact that he is a thinking person's tennis player. In tennis, he is the best in the world at the mental side of the game. What spectators see are his strokes and those strokes aren't always pretty. What people don't see are the mental mechanizations that lead him to victory, what goes in his head before, during and after the match. Most tennis players are mentally lazy on the court. Brad uses this to his advantage and believes you can do the same. He utilizes every second of a match to try and figure out a way to gain an advantage. Without overwhelming physical gifts or astonishing shots, Brad wins because he outthinks and outplans his opponents. I too wondered why people call it winning ugly, like Jameson says, when his methods are legitimate. Brad was not conventional in the way most guys played the game. He played his game with a purpose and an analysis in the mind and he contested to outplay the opponent mentally and win the point and the match. People may have thought his strokes weren't pretty, but they were effective. They may have looked ugly, but they were legitimate. He was not like players who were champions at distracting the opponents when they were in the lead, through devious methods like holding up play, throwing tempo transoms, delaying tactics, etc. The two greatest mind game players of all time were John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors. He says the two were the best at being the worst when it comes to controlling what's going on out there on the court. The court they ruled. They control the crowd, the umpire, the linesman, the referee, even the ball boys and girls. They controlled the altercations and disputes and they were great at dictating the tempo of the play, speeding it up or slowing it down depending on what they were trying to do to the other player. They could control the energy, the atmosphere and the attitude on and around the court. Brad Kilbert recalls how players like John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors played dirty mind games on him. He says, the mental games that get played during a match can affect the outcome just as much as the physical and tactical game of tennis. Remember this, the mind games the other player uses all have the same general purpose that is to disrupt your concentration. They upset your emotional equilibrium and tempo. They pull you out of your game. You become the one getting jerked around instead of controlling the tempo, pace and attitude of the match. You are being dictated to now. I bring to you one such incident involving Jimmy Connors and Brad Gilbert. It was an important match and after two sets both players were a set apiece. In the final set Jimmy was serving 4-5 down and 30-40 down. It was match point for Brad. What a moment! Then Brad makes a return which falls inside the line in Jimmy's court and Jimmy misses it. Brad had beaten Jimmy. That's what he thought. But suddenly, Jimmy starts freaking out. He's screaming and yelling at the linesman, pointing at the line and pointing at a spot outside the line which he imagined the ball fell. He's like a wild man. So mad, he got stuff coming out of his nose and spit coming out of his mouth. He slams his racket into the court, runs back to the chair, screaming about the call. He's holding his head in his hands and shouting stuff you would get arrested if you said it to a cop. He points back to a spot. He thinks he sees outside the line. After five minutes, the referee falls to the pressure tactics of Jimmy Connors and overrules the linesman's call. The match is back to Deuce those days the two, Jimmy Connors and McEnroe, superstars of the game, had their way. They were crowd pullers, and the organizers didn't want to have a brush with them. So the two got away with it on most occasions. Back to the match. The match continues and finally Jimmy Connors wins the match. Writing about this, Brad Gilbert says, The overrule completely destroyed me. My thinking, my emotions, my control. I came apart from the anger and never got my head back on. I was so upset, I lost control of what I was doing on the tennis court. I felt like I had been robbed and became a complete basket case. I knew it was asking a lot of myself to beat Connors once. I figured it was asking too much to beat him twice on the same night. I hate to admit it, but for one of the few times in my life during a tennis match, I quit caring. I felt like I had been cheated out of victory. In a similar incident, Brad is facing John McEnroe. John wins the first set 6-1 and in the second set, Mac is serving at 3 3 games all and 15-30. A Gilbert return lands inside Mac's court and it is ruled in, like most people felt on that day. Like Jimmy did in the earlier incident, McEnroe now erupts. He drops his racket and falls over on his back, like he has been shot. Right away he jumps up screaming. He's acting like it's the worst call since they invented tennis. He's storming around, raving at the linesman about how he missed the call. He goes after the chair umpire, xenophob, and pleads for an overrule. He begs for an overrule. He demands an overrule. In extreme cold, the match is held up for 10 minutes. Brad freezes in the cold, and to his utter dismay, The overrule is granted. The match progresses. Meanwhile, McEnroe is charged up to play, while Brad is cold and upset. Brad recalls, I head to the baseline cold, upset, mentally out of it. John is just the opposite. He's fired up and ready to roar. Nobody but nobody uses turmoil commotion, disruption, and disorder to their benefit like he did. His game actually got better in the midst of all the chaos. Brad realizes the match is in danger of slipping away, though it hasn't yet. I collect my thoughts. I slow down. I go to the ball boy for a towel, even though I'm not sweating. I wipe off my grip and my hands, give the towel back to the ball boy. I walk back to the service line, bounce the ball and look over at McEnroe. Suddenly I hear Mr. Faw turn on the PA system. Game delay warning Mr. Gilbert. Oh, is he talking to me? This can't be happening. Brad can't believe his ears. John McEnroe does all the tantrums, creates a chaos, wastes time and now Brad is being blamed for wasting time. Finally, the match is over and John McEnroe wins the match and the psychological battle. After the match and in the locker room, when both players come face to face, Mac tells Brad, Brad, you've got to be more careful about delaying the game like that. In this weather, I could have caught cold. (laughs) Ha! Mac did have a sense of humor, didn't he? Brad Gilbert soon realized that he wasn't prepared for this kind of psych games played by Jimmy Connors and McEnroe. He bet himself more than his opponents beat him. Brad wasn't surprised that Mac didn't do all this drama and hold up stuff when he was leading, but did it when he was trailing or if it was staring at him. He decided to do something about it. Brad Gilbert knew that tricksters would always try to con him with their side games and the best way to deal with that was to be mentally prepared for it. So that when he was pushed into such situations in the future, he wouldn't get mentally rattled and lose his concentration. his success mantra was within the tennis court between the two years called his mind. Mental preparation was the key. Brad Gilbert remembered John McEnroe and I have never exactly been what you would call best friends. I guess that can happen when two people don't like each other. He thinks, "I got bad strokes. I think he has got a bad attitude. It was uh, the Masters at Madison Square Garden in front of thousands of his loyal, screaming, stomping New York City fans. John McEnroe was having his worst nightmare. Tonight, John McEnroe, defending champion ranked number 2 in the world, was slowly realizing that he was going to lose to a guy he didn't like and whose game he despised. The guy was me. It was humiliating for him and he was seething with anger. On a changeover, he snarled over in my direction. Gilbert, you don't deserve to be on the same court with me. He was heading over the edge. We crossed within a few feet of each other. In case I had missed this point, he added, you are the worst, the worst. It was one of his better performances. But in the end, the guy who didn't deserve to be on the same side of the court with him won in three tough sets. Well, actually, two tough sets. The third was a breeze. The match score stood it. 576461 in Brad Gilbert's favour. Later, McEnroe dropped a bombshell, announced his retirement from tennis at an early age of 27, and he blamed part of it on me, Brad Gilbert. Mac explained that he needed a sabbatical because when I start losing to players like him, I've got to reconsider what I am doing. Even playing this game, if he thought I would be insulted, he was wrong. In fact, I loved it. In seven previous matches, I had won only one set. That victory in the Masters was a great win. Brad Gilbert recalls. Mr. Gilbert defeated Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe and many top guys in the circuit with his tactical game. And mental planning this is how he got into the top 10 league for five years and earned more than five million dollars of prize money or even more brad gilbert studied each player in the circuit their strengths and weaknesses their styles their likes and preferences of play he planned his game accordingly he made his opponents play to his strengths and not theirs he exposed their weakness along the way. He became famous for his analysis of the game and his ability to strategize and plot his opponent's downfall. The ability to read players didn't come easily to Brad. He read a lot about the upcoming and established players of the circuit. He painstakingly used to follow them everywhere to understand them and their style of play. He watched their matches against their other opponents and jotted down notes in his black diary, which he carried everywhere. He perhaps understood there is no free lunch and you have to earn for it. That's what he did. I remember during the eighties and nineties, there were at least 15 top ranked tennis players in the world. These were professionals and very capable tennis players. Any one of them uh, could be expected to enter the last eight of a major tournament. Uh, let me recall those names for you. Michael Stitch, Stefan Edberg, Pete Sampras, Michael Chang, Ivan Lendl, Andre Agese, Goran Ivansivish, Emilio Sanchez, Jim Corrier, John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors, David Wheaton, John Bogue, Pat Cash, Anders Jarrett, Thomas Muster and uh, yes I can recall the name of Max Willander. The way Brad Gilbert plotted Boris Becker's downfall in the US Open makes fascinating reading. He writes, I want to serve food to his forehand, try and get him missing some forehand Ground strokes? Why? I know that Boris has a great forehand. It anchors the rest of his game. But if he starts screwing up with it, everything else can suffer. He gets frustrated and when the forehand doesn't meet his expectations, he has gone. I learned that when he starts to miss on the forehand side, the rest of the game can start to wobble. That's when he will start screaming at himself in German. Screaming at himself in German? So funny. So I want to be sharp serving to his forehand without getting too ambitious. Get a high percentage in. Also I should give him no pace. Boris will win any battle over who can hit the ball hardest. Without pace he still wants to hit the ball hard and often overhits as a result. Especially on the forehand side, this was his pre-game mental plan, and and how it worked. After four hours of oppressive heat and humidity, the match was finally won by Brad Gilbert. It was more of a psychological battle than a physical one. I was in total admiration when I read about this in Winning Ugly the first time and many times later. I mutter to myself, even now, "Wow!" Every time, I remember this incident. Brad Gilbert talks about deliberate slow play artists, whom he refers to as turtles. Though Ivan Lendl, another legend of the game, was not a slow player, he was a master at slowing things down when the opponent was in good rhythm, playing well and leading in the game. He threw his opponent off his rhythm and momentum, irritated him enough to make him lose his focus and patience and even pushed him to rush with his game. Unlike others, Lendl did it quietly. It took a lot of time for the opponents to realize what was happening. By then it was too late. After this, Lendl took charge and totally destroyed his opponents. Brad Gilbert has a word of advice to the upcoming players in the circuit. That is to watch out for the deliberate turtles who are masters of time-wasting tactics. In the book Winning Early, Brad Gilbert has come out with many strategies and underlying tactics like pre-match mental preparation wanting to win proper equipment and sundries to carry to the match importance of stretching before and after the match flexibility physical and mental warm-up proper pre-match stroke practice review of match plan set for the opponent before the match began, nerve busters, overcoming pre-match nervousness, tennis specific technical tactics and plans, smart play, playing smart and finding a way to win, handling pressure, self-awareness, knowing thyself, destroying opponent's game plan, how to play players of different styles, how to control anger, what is mental management, the importance of desire, dedication and diligence. It is very interesting to note that Andre Agassi, one of the top players of the Easter years, had once slipped to world number 32 in 1994. Then A chance meeting with Brad Gilbert changed the course of Andre's career. Brad Gilbert accepted Andre's invitation to become his coach. Until then, Andre Agassi was more of a power and physical player and under Brad he became a thinking player and a good one at that. On April 10, 1995, Andre hit number one spot and stayed there for 30 weeks, thanks to Brad Gilbert. Speaking of Brad Gilbert and winning ugly, this is what Andre Agassi had to say. Winning ugly to me is being able to figure out how to win even when you are not at your best, when things aren't going your way and you have got to do more than just hit the ball hard. That's one of the big things I learned from Brad. How to win ugly when it's necessary? He, Brad, is a very scientific person. When it comes to analyzing opponents, Brad puts them under microscope and can just see really clearly where their flaws are and where they are strong, especially when the cracks in their game appear during big point Pressure, where it counts. Andre Agassi remembers, In Florida during the Lipton Championship in March 1994, I asked him if he had any ideas about my game and what I could do to pick it up. You can guess he wasn't at a loss for words. Right away, he started telling me about what I should be doing to win more. Everything he said was right. Mainly what he said was think. He told me if you play Sampras the way you play Chang you will lose. If you play Becker like you play Courier you will lose. Every player is different. Your strategy should be different for each one of them. He is right and applying what he said has turned my game completely around. My last word. If Brad Gilbert had to plan differently against different players and execute differently, he definitely had to have a strong mental presence, calmness and composure. Playing a stereotype game is easy, but altering your game to suit the requirements of the contest. Is not an easy task. You need to be the master of the mind. That is what Brad Gilbert was. Winning ugly, mental warfare in tennis, lessons from a master is a must-have for every budding player, coach, analyst of the game and every tennis lover. If you are an avid and a voracious sports reader, then Winning Ugly is one book you must possess in your treasure trove like one of my prized possessions. If you are an aspiring tennis player and if you come across Winning Ugly, don't dismiss it as a book written in the 90s. Thinking it does not apply to the modern day game. Brad Gilbert says, Except a few, the game hasn't changed much. And even now, wherever he goes, people come to him and thank him for the book, as it helped them immensely to improve their mind game. Winning ugly isn't winning ugly. It's winning clever. I pay credits to Brad Gilbert, Steve Jamison, the authors of this book, and... Touchstone Books, a division of Simon & Schuster, the publishers of this book, for the inputs I have derived for this episode. Thank you. This is Vishwana signing off for Winning It Talks Podcast. In case you wish to contact me, you can call me on nine seven three nine three seven two three one nine. Until next time, goodbye. We'll catch up with you soon.